This is the podcast by the Straits Times. The report published today echoes the same messages with much higher urgency. Climate change is already more visible, and the emissions have grown more than more rapidly than we ever expected in 1979. It is indisputable that human activities have caused and are causing climate change. What is clear from this report is that unless there are immediate, strong, rapid and large-scale reductions in greenhouse gas emissions, limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius will be beyond reach. Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times where we analyze the beats of the changing environment, from biodiversity conservation to climate change. I'm your host Audrey Tan and I cover science and environments for The Straits Times. My co-host is David Fogarty. Hi, I'm David and I'm the climate change editor at The Straits Times. It is the 9th of August. Today, the United Nations top climate science body, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, released a much-awaited report that looks not only at the latest developments in climate science, but also where the planet is heading. The findings are alarming. Climate change is accelerating, and so is the intensity and frequency of extremes, just like the ones that have been dominating the headlines of late, from heat waves and wildfires in North America to deadly record floods in China. With us to discuss the report and explain its importance is a scientist who was involved in the latest effort, Dr. Greg Flato. Senior Research Scientist at the Environment and Climate Change Canada. Thanks for joining us today, Greg. Thanks for having me. So before we start, maybe you can tell us a bit more about why this report is different from the other climate change reports uh, we've been seeing recently. Well, this report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is one in a series. It's now the sixth uh, assessment report from that international body or intergovernmental body. It is the most uh, comprehensive uh, assessment of physical climate science. The last one was about eight years ago. So this represents the advances in climate science over the last eight years and summarizes that very comprehensively. So for you, what were some of the key messages that stood out the most? Well, I think the, the biggest key messages from this report are strengthening the evidence that we have had for a long time about the extent to which the climate is changing and the extent to which human activities are responsible for that. So what we have now uh, been able to determine is that the global mean surface temperature has increased by about 1.1 degrees since pre-industrial times. And most of that change is driven by human activities, primarily the consumption of fossil fuels and the emission of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere that arise from that. There is a lot better understanding now about the way that climate extremes, heat waves, uh, heavy precipitation events, droughts, floods, wildfires, uh, how those things are connected to a changing climate and how the warming climate leads to the increasing risk of those uh, extreme events. And those extreme events are, of course, the things that are most impactful for societies, for ecosystems, for the economy, and, and just generally the, the way in which climate affects all of us in our lives. So Greg, 
you're from Canada, British Columbia, uh, I believe. Uh, tell us a little bit about the heat wave and wildfires in uh, British Columbia recently and why you feel the findings in this report are so relevant or doubly relevant from perhaps personal experience. Well, you're right. That's that's where I live here on the west coast of Canada. And as you know, we had this this very severe heat wave that, that stayed in place for, for a long time. We set uh, temperature records far above what we've ever experienced before. Where I live, we rarely in the summer get temperatures above the mid-20s. And we had uh, temperatures one day at 39.6, which is, you know, broke the record by a long margin. So it was very intense. And, and for, uh, you know, people like me who live in a, in a kind of moderate climate, having heat of that sort for an extended period was really striking. And I think it, it brought home the message that climate is changing in a way that, that not only changes the subtle uh, mean uh, quantities, but changes the, the frequency and intensity of extreme events. One of the things that this report uh, looks at is quantifying how those uh, changes in extreme events change at different levels of global warming. But it also looks at things like changing uh, wildfire, the, the, the uh, fire weather, that is the weather conditions that lead to, to wildfires. And of course, we've been having severe uh, droughts in, in many parts of the world that have led to, to increased fire risk. And right now here, uh, in Western North America, both in, in the U.S. and in Canada, we're experiencing very severe uh, forest fires. And, and it's, it, I think, also just underscores the, the changes that are occurring. So, Rick, you've already mentioned that the world has warmed about 1.1 degrees Celsius on average since the start of industrialization. And with that, of course, we've seen just how much that has contributed to uh, growing extremes. Now, the report says the world could cross 1.5 degrees Celsius by the next decade. So, in fact, sooner than had previously been anticipated, depending, of course, on global climate action to cut emissions. So could you tell us why there is so much concern about crossing this 1.5 degree Celsius uh, threshold? Well, the one and a half degree temperature threshold is is part of uh, an, an assessment that illustrates or indicates where uh, large impacts of changing climate will become more and more severe. And as a consequence of that, the Paris Agreement aimed to, or governments agreed as part of that agreement, to limit warming to well below two degrees and to strive for limiting warming to one and a half degrees. So the one and a half and two degree uh, warming levels feature prominently in this report. And the reason that they're important is that every little extra bit of warming that occurs leads to more and more and more severe uh, impacts on changing extremes like we just talked about, changes in the water cycle, uh, changes in the, the uh, mass, the, the melting of, of the large ice sheets like Greenland and Antarctica with consequences for sea level rise. So all of these things get more and more severe as warming increases. And so the, the report really looks at how uh, climate changes at these different global warming levels. But if that threshold, 1.5 degrees Celsius threshold is, is exceeded, I mean, does it mean all hope is lost or does it mean fighting or slowing down the pace of climate change is going to be that much harder for the next current and future generations? 
Well, it doesn't mean that all is lost. It's it's there's nothing magical that happens at 1.5 degrees or 1.6 degrees or 1.7 degrees. It just things get incrementally more severe. The the thing that this report does show is that we can limit warming to very little over one and a half degrees if we start reducing emissions very rapidly and make very deep cuts in greenhouse gas emissions. That would allow temperatures to slightly exceed one and a half degrees and then gap get back down below one and a half degrees by the end of the century under the very low emission scenario. So that in that sense, there's the, the report indicates that there is still opportunity to act and that rapid action will have uh, profound benefits in the near term. Now, nearly 200 national governments have approved uh, the key findings of this report. Um, and you know this occurred over the past two weeks or so. Uh, so do you think this might spur more countries uh, into stronger climate action, given the findings of this report, uh, such as more investment in renewables and electric vehicles, or faster phasing out of fossil fuels? Well, this report really is the scientific basis for making those kind of decisions. The, the last IPCC report came out prior to the Paris Agreement. It informed the decisions that were made at the Paris Agreement. This report strengthens the evidence that we had available at that time and really provides the, the scientific basis upon which international uh, policy, climate policy can be developed and upon which national climate policy can be developed. So it really is the, the, the internationally agreed upon uh, set of, or the, the internationally agreed upon uh, synthesis of climate science that allows decision makers to, to move forward. Let's hear from Inger Anderson, head of the UN Environment Programme, who spoke during the release of the IPCC report. We can't undo the mistakes of the past, but this generation of political and business leaders, this generation of conscious citizens, can make things right. This generation can make the systemic changes that will stop the planet warming, help everyone adapt to the new conditions, and create a world of peace, prosperity, and equity. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series Green Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. So Greg, I was hoping we could talk a bit more about the report itself. Um, now the climate projections on how extreme weather events, rainfall or temperatures, and how they will change are based on how much emissions humanity produces. So basically, the models look at what happens if we use more fossil fuels and release more emissions, and also what happens in other scenarios where we produce less or none of these heat-trapping gases. But the scenarios used in this report are different from what the previous IPCC reports use. Uh, I think now instead of just focusing on emissions, you guys also take into consideration socioeconomic factors. So you are a climate modelling expert, so I was hoping you could tell us a bit more about this. Well, you're right. This, there is a new set of scenarios uh, that are based upon these, these new socioeconomic pathways. And the reason for that is, is to provide for more integration between the different working groups in the IPCC. So the working group one, which is the report that was just released, deals with physical climate science. So we're still really primarily interested in the, the greenhouse gases, the aerosols, the land use change that accompany each of these different socioeconomic pathways and asking 
how does the climate change in response to those different pathways? And then working group three, which deals with mitigation, will go into more detail on those socioeconomic pathways themselves and ask about their feasibility, the, the way in which they could be accomplished and, and so forth. But the, the, the new pathways really provide a framework for looking at a whole range of possible futures from a very low emission pathway to high emission pathways and, and all of the, the pathways in between. Would you also say it helps with communication? Do you think that with this kind of parameters in place, it's easier for people to kind of understand where which track the world is on? Well, I think so, because I think it makes these scenarios uh, less abstract. Uh, in the past, where we only dealt with different scenarios of, of greenhouse gases, it was hard for people, I think, to connect those to what that means in terms of, of what the world will look like in the future. This way, there's a concrete storyline that underlies each of these pathways, and people can can understand a little bit more clearly, I hope, how the you know different futures will affect different emission scenarios and can make the the connection between what it means to have a very low emission future versus a higher emission future so i mean all these socioeconomic pathways are just one factor that it's input into the global climate models um why is it that you know the data now coming out from these models is more accurate or of higher resolution well, as I said at the beginning, the, this report comes eight years after the last report. There's been a lot of uh, advance in the climate modeling community over that time. The models at the different centers that run these models, there's about 40 different models that have been run around the world that take these socioeconomic pathways and the emissions that go with them in and, and produce climate scenarios of the future. About 40 modeling centers have, have run these simulations. The models they use are, are very carefully evaluated in the IPCC report. And it's, it's clear that they are better than they were in the last report in, by all of the measures that are used. The, the models are compared to, the, to observations in the way they simulate temperature and precipitation and ocean currents and sea ice and snow and all of these things. And they are, they are better in many ways. There is a bigger range of models than was available in the last report. And in this report, there was a new methodology applied to, to use observations in combination with the models to improve our, our ability to make projections, particularly for important quantities like temperature and sea level rise. The, the Working Group 1 report that's just been out, um, been released, is only the first installment of the IPCC 6 assessment report, which is due out next year. So there are two more major reports that will also need to be released and that will form the other remaining parts of the six assessment report. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, those next two reports, which I think are being released early next year? That's right. So the, the report that was just released, the, the Working Group 1 report, deals with physical climate science. The Working Group 2 report deals with impacts and vulnerability to climate change. So it will look at what are the implications of this changing climate on things like agriculture, on marine ecosystems, on forests, on biodiversity, all of those, those kind of things, on human health, on you know, a, a range of impacts. And then working group three, which is the, the working group that deals with mitigation, will look at the, the changes that have occurred in the past and 
look at the, the changes that are necessary to, to achieve the emission reductions that are required to limit warming to, to different levels and what the implications of that would be in a, in a socioeconomic framework. Right. So there's quite a bit more um, updated climate science and, and basically guides for policymakers still to come. So this really just today is just the first installment, I guess, of, I guess, probably a lot more serious and quite thought provoking, um, you know, climate science to come. That's right. And, and in fact, just uh, to clarify, there's actually been three special reports that have also come out during this assessment cycle. We had a, a special report on 1.5 degrees, which was asked for by the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change as part of the Paris Agreement. So we focused specifically on this one and a half degree target. And then a special report on the oceans and cryosphere in a changing climate, cryosphere being the frozen parts of the climate system, the, the sea ice and the glaciers and the ice sheets, and a special report on, on climate change and land. So we've had a number of, of kind of specialty products. Now, as you indicated, we have the three big working group reports. And then finally, to cap it all off is, is what we call the synthesis report which draws all of that material together into kind of a compact, higher-level summary. So thanks, Greg, for joining us today. We'll definitely keep an eye out for the subsequent editions of the AR6, and we appreciate you coming on our show today. It was a nice pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Greg. Well, that's a wrap for Green Pulse, and we hope you enjoyed our discussion. For more on climate change and the environment, do check out our stories in The Straits Times. And don't forget to subscribe to our Green Pulse podcast series on your favourite audio apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.